For as long as I've been in the student accommodation sector, fire safety has been a top priority. It's something that keeps leaders awake at night, and there's no doubt that a fire in a building full of students is truly the stuff of nightmares. On the 15th of November 2019, a devastating fire broke out at the Cube, a student accommodation building in Bolton Town Centre. The fire, caused by a discarded cigarette, rapidly spread and caused substantial damage to the building, but fortunately no loss of life. At its height, 130 firefighters were engaged in containing the blaze. Two residents, trapped by the fire, were successfully rescued. One was pulled from a sixth-floor window using a high-reach aerial appliance, while the other was assisted in escaping from a second-floor window with the use of ladders. The efficient and complete evacuation of the building played a crucial role in ensuring the safety of all 217 residents. Despite the intensity and the unpredictability of the fire, no serious injuries were reported. Fortunately, in that incident, everyone got out alive, but just two years earlier, the fire at Grenfell Tower had a far more tragic ending with the loss of 72 lives. This, rightly, sparked an independent review and led to new legislation and a new regulator. Welcome to Accommodation Matters, where, as always, we look at the big issues affecting student accommodation. I'm Jenny Shaw, and today we're taking a deep dive into the Building Safety Act and its many implications for student accommodation. So it's fortunate that I'm joined in the studio today by some top experts. Ian Fletcher is the Director of Policy at the British Property Federation. Hello, Ian. A very good afternoon to you, Jenny. Yeah, nice to, to join you. Abby Yeo is Performance Quality and Systems Manager for Unite Students. Hi, Abby. Hi, Jenny. And Ian Bamforth is Head of Estates and Facilities for Unite Students. Hi, Ian. Hi, Jenny, here to confuse everyone with two Ians on the podcast again. Well, I was just going to say that um, we do have two Ians in an unprecedented move. So I am going to be super formal and use surnames so that we know who's saying what. But if I can start with you, Ian Fletcher. So one of the first things that changed after the Grenfell fire was the removal of cladding. So something very visible. Um, but the Act does go a lot further than this. Can you outline some of the implications for student accommodation? Yes, absolutely, Jenny. Um, there are, in my mind, sort of four aspects to the Building Safety Act. So uh, the first of those was to create the new Building Safety Regulator, and that sort of underpins a lot of the new system. The second is around... Uh, remediating existing buildings and that's not particularly applicable in terms of some of the act provisions to the student accommodation sector uh, student accommodation sector the responsibilities are quite clear and a lot of that part of the act is more about how leasehold operates in flats for sale owner occupied flats the third aspect is how we build new buildings and you know, that has a lot of implications, I think, for the student accommodation sector. Traditionally, it you know, delivers buildings just in time so they're ready to occupy. And the new regime is quite rigorous and means you've got to be very well organized in terms of presenting various documents to the regulator at the right time so that you can have your building occupied when you want to. 
And then probably the most important aspect of the Act is to replies to existing buildings. So over the last um, year or so, existing buildings have had to be registered, had to be registered by October last year if they were over 18 metres high, so any residential building. And the reason for that is that all existing buildings over 18 metres are residential use are then going to go through a, a certification process. So the uh, building safety regulator is going to look quite rigorously at a number of aspects of evidence to illustrate that that building is is safe in use, uh, managed well, interacting with its residents, and uh, generally yeah, has building safety as its first priority. Yeah, quite a lot of work there. Yeah, it absolutely sounds like it. Could you tell me a little bit more about those tall buildings? Because we do have a lot of tall student accommodation buildings across the UK. What does it mean for them? You talked about that as something that was in the the future. Is is there anything that needs to be done now? And what's that going to play out like in the future? Yes, I've had a lot of um, interaction with building safety managers, with um, health and safety managers over the course of the last four or five years. And you know, those people are finding their workload is naturally increasing significantly with the Act. And as you say, you know, a lot of uh, student accommodation is over that 18-metre threshold. So for them, it's a case of they have to produce what is called a, a safety case. So lots of different sort of scenarios, almost sort of planning in terms of you know, how that building is sort of managed and run and being able to illustrate to the regulator that it's being done well. There has to be people that put their hands up and are responsible for various aspects of that. They have to illustrate that they're competent to be able to do the things within the buildings. And as I say, there's there's a sort of an element to ensuring that you know this is not something that is just done to people. Clearly, you know, within any residential building, your residents are an important part of that ecosystem, and and you know, can be a first port of call in terms of problems in that building. So if you've got good communication channels with them, then that's seen as being something that is helpful vis-a-vis not having good communication with your residents. Yeah, thank you. And yes, we were talking just before the recording, weren't we, about how this has become quite a big part of your role now, unexpectedly, since the legislation was put in. Yeah, and in uh, many respects, I feel sorry that it's taken tragedy to uncover these sorts of people in, in the member organisations. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I think sometimes the the property sector has these sorts of you know, almost unsung employees that are doing really essential work and uh, up until four or five years ago my my interaction with health and safety managers building safety managers was quite limited but um, we've got a community of those individuals uh, we call it our building safety sounding board and as much as sort of hearing from me it's an opportunity for them to share best practice because you know, this is a, a, a difficult journey in terms of the building safety act and uh, in many ways, learning from each other as well as learning from us and, and the regulator and so forth. Well, it's great to hear how people have come together. I think it doesn't surprise me really in the student accommodation sector. I think there's a, a lot of willingness to work together, but it's just really great that safety has that high priority. Abby, I want to come to you now because you've been part of a project team on the Building Safety Act. What is it that you and that team have been working on? Yes, um, it's been a large and complex project. So I'll just talk about some of the key milestones we've worked on as a project. And not least, the first is forming the team. One of the things Unite did really well is manage 
our building safely. What we don't do is probably cross-functionally manage safely. And I think this is one of the things that the app really gives us that opportunity to do is centralise all our information together, our processes, our management systems. So, of course, the first thing that I needed to do was get all the experts together, fire safety teams, project delivery teams or health and safety teams, IT teams, consultant to help and guide us along the way. And, of course, Joe Blair, who we'll hear from, we had to understand what the Building Safe Track requirements were. That was the first point of call to compare that with what we currently do. And as I mentioned, we do things well. We cover all the aspects of the Building Safety Act, but it's not all joined together. So first thing we needed to do was understand what systems, management systems, we needed to pull up together. To do that, researched and found an IT solution, which we implemented. That's called GlideBIM. And it's been a great tool to hold our documents and our asset data. We collated all our information for the registration. So we identified 84 buildings and collated all the relevant and required information to register those buildings. I think we calculated there were something like 70,000 data points, not of information to collate. One of the things I should say about that solution is it gave us an opportunity to restructure and standardise our asset data into a industry-known standard. And that helps outside of the occupied building scenario for new developments to come in because our contractors will be working in those same standards, so sharing information will be a lot easier. We had to define what a safety case was. What sort of information do we need to hold as a safety case? And this was um, not as easy as it sounds because... We wanted to get as much information as we could, but stay proportionate. And that's one of the key pieces of guidance that we had from the regulators. Be proportionate. Don't go surveying every building. If you don't have it and it's a risk, make a plan. So the safety case was key to us identifying what information we really need and if there are any gaps. So we built a format within our glider system to collect that information, creating a database of building information, which we haven't had before. Alongside that, we know that we will need to produce a safety case report. We see the safety case report almost as a building risk assessment. Tell us about your building, tell us what can go wrong and tell us how you're controlling it. And, you know, let's acknowledge that nothing is ever going to be 100%. We will have fires, but how are we containing it? How are we managing that risk? So the safety case report really goes to that point of ensuring we're doing the best we can to prevent anything awful happening. So it's not just technical information, technical systems, technical documentation. Key to the Building Safety Act is the management systems or policies and procedures very much in place. We had to make sure they were aligned with the Building Safety Act, specifically, Ian Fletcher mentioned competencies, how we're managing risk, what are our safety management systems. And actually, they were really well aligned. We just need to pull them all together into one umbrella. Lots of other stuff, not least, making sure our systems are suitable for mandatory occurrences. So incidents that happen in our buildings, when there's contractors in place, If a customer has a concern or an issue they want to raise with theirs, we have the systems in place, but we needed to specifically align with the Building Safety Act. 
It sounds like a lot of work, but a real opportunity for that cross-functional working. Because as you say, you know, it was things were safe. I'm, I'm sure that's the, the case right across the sector that, you know, that a lot of work had already gone into building safety on an individual building basis, but actually bringing that together with other functions. It sounds like there's been a lot of standardization. What have been some of the benefits of that cross-functional working? Yeah, you know, what a great opportunity to bring all the information about a building into one place. There's inevitable cost savings to prevent surveys upon surveys that may have been done over the years, providing the same information for our operations team to have access to information about their building. We will absolutely see the benefits of that in our operations, not just to suit the legislation. That's great. Thanks, Abby. Ian Bamforth, I want to come to you. You've been waiting very patiently, but I can see you've been sort of following the conversation and uh, I'm really keen to hear from you. So you're Head of Estates and Facilities. What does the Building Safety Act mean to you in your role? Thanks, Jenny. Yeah, um, actually, just listening to Abby there, it makes me incredibly proud of what United Students have done. And I think we are leading the way in the way we've approached this and just wanted to add that our consultants who have worked with us have reflected back to us that we're taking a really proactive approach to this. So so really pleased about that. Well done to that project team. But for me personally, the reality is there's nothing in the Building Safety Act that is anything less or more than I should have already been doing as a head of estates and we should be doing and responsible for as a competent landlord. It's unfortunate that it's taken the tragedy of Grenfell to get to a place where we need to legislate for this in such a way when you know people were saying that safety is paramount, but the reality is they were acting in a different way from that. So actually, it's reassured me that this country takes safety very seriously indeed, and that we are prepared to put legislation in place to back that up and prepared to back that with good oversight as to how we will manage it. Um, lastly, for me, obviously that consistency between my colleagues in the construction and in the built environment is going to be really useful because we can start to use a common language as to how we will manage safety. And of course, it makes sure that it keeps it at the top of our agenda every time we think about how we're going to manage the building and how we're going to deliver a great service to the customer. Now, from a student perspective, our students are just looking forward to joining the university, having great experience and being able to come away having attained the best degree, the qualification and life experience that they can possibly have from that fledging part of their life um, when they're just starting out on their careers and what they want to do for the future. The last thing that they'll be thinking of is, is their home safe enough? And the reality is, is that I have an obligation and the people around me, our business have the obligation to make sure that they don't have to worry about the safety because it's just a given. The Act helps us to do that. It helps us to be accountable for that. So the Act has brought in roles that are specific around that. The, the business as itself is the principal accountable person for how we organise that against the Building Safety Act. But me, I have an accountability. I am an accountable person. So I have to take that accountability really seriously. I've had to make sure that I'm on top of the legislation, what it's saying to me but also the linking legislation, such as how we manage a big six areas of compliance, like fire and gas and water quality, uh, lifting equipment, etc. 
So it just means that I have had to sharpen my tools to make sure that I can really say to the students, we're ready to accept you, to welcoming you into your homes. Mm, thank you. And uh, in terms of those new sort of accountabilities and roles, have you needed to put in any additional training for staff across Unite to meet these obligations? Thanks, Jenny. Yeah, we've, we're doing that and it's ongoing as well because we've got to make sure that any new members of staff that join us are also as ready to take up their responsibilities. So we've created a hierarchy of accountability against the Act and um, that spreads quite far and wide. We operate right the way across England and Wales and, and of course there are separate regulations in, in Scotland, but we want to give as much consistency so that anybody in the UK can recognise that we deliver a safe and welcoming products for our students. There's lots of training aims to be going on in the near future. There's things that the Act and the regulator are still informing us about, and we need to keep everybody on top of that. So we've got regular feeds into the regional teams and the city teams to make sure that they're on top of what they need to know. And again, it's just reinforcing how it's okay to identify gaps and raise them to us so that we can do something and support that with local teams as well. We've got some great collaboration between teams, between central estates and the regional teams, particularly the general managers who are our responsible people for the cities that they look after. Uh, and we've got to make sure that they have everything they need to be able to answer the questions that may be asked of them when the regulator starts to assess the competency of the building ready for giving us that certificate. So yeah, we've done a lot of work. The great thing is, is the systems that we've used combine that information into one place and start to make it simpler for everybody to know where the information is. In actual fact, by giving us this consistency, it's meant that we can be more clear about how we're performing. And so that's got to be a bonus for us. Thank you. Yeah. One of the things I picked up on that you just said then was just about staff feeling comfortable to sort of raise things, something like a culture of openness. How do you create that? It's not the easiest thing and it takes work. But the reality is, is just because you are a responsible, accountable person, we fit into the umbrella of our principal accountable person, which is the business. And what the business needs from us is openness and honesty. So actually calling it out, having systems like AVA that report any upcoming issues that can then be fed into our live building safety case reports is really critical. And that gets monitored on a regular basis through our performance teams. The operational performance team will see what's happening on a regular basis. Where do we need to provide support for certain cities that might need extra help? And we also have regular contact with our contractors who play an enormous role in making sure that we're compliant and making sure that we're looking after the buildings in the right way. So we're doing a lot of work with the procurement team as well at the moment, making sure that the contractors that we go into partnership with really understand our values, get the purpose of the act themselves and are on top of the certification, the escalation of any issues that we might have. Um, and this all adds to us being ahead of needing to do anything that is high risk. So we can really be in control of that. Elsewhere in the business, of course, I look after the in-occupation phase of the Building Safety Act. That's what they're calling it. But we're a developing business. We grow regularly. So our colleagues in the development team, our colleagues in the health and safety team, and our projects team who redevelop our properties and, and put new facilities into our properties, 
are all going through similar training at the moment to make sure they understand their roles and responsibilities, particularly now that the building safety regulator has been positioned as the building control officers. It's made us have to take a pause for breath when we think about doing new projects. And it makes us more conscientious and gives us that little bit more time to do the right thing, employ the right contractors and deliver a great outcome that's safe and ready to use from day one. I can I can feel your pride in the work that's been done. I think that's great. Um, Ian Fletcher, I want to come back to you just to, to get a, a broader view on this, because I'm just wondering what kind of demand there has been. You know, you talked about you spending a lot of your time on the Building Safety Act. What kind of demand have you had for advice or training around the Building Safety Act from the student accommodation sector? Yes, Jenny, quite a lot. Um, as I say, there's the Building Safety Sounding Board. We've also got a number of uh, videos on our, our YouTube account at BPF that we did in conjunction with an organization called ARC, and they set out for members a number of the aspects that uh, Ian and Abby have touched on in terms of sort of safety cases. The golden thread that was mentioned, uh, fire risk assessments, so quite a suite of different documents there. We did a really interesting event last year with the sort of supply side. So some of the challenges that the industry face can be made easier through new technology. Yeah, so sort of embedding things in buildings, new software that will help you systemize some of the new requirements of the act, et cetera. So yeah, that was quite an interesting afternoon and had a bit of a dragon's den and had about seven people come in and uh, present their different solutions provide that sort of add technology to some of the uh, the new ways of working that, that people are having to do because of the Safety Act. You can't sort of, um, I suppose, resolve people's problems through one channel. You need to provide them with a number of different ways that they can consume. We followed up the, the, the videos with some sort of bite-size tutorials that are sort of aimed at just being something that you could consume when you're you know, doing your commute on your phone as you're taking a train into work, et cetera. So trying to think about how we reach as many people as we can. That's great. And big it up for the podcast. Great way of learning. And uh, we'll put some links to that, I think, as well in the show notes if people want to follow that up. And I know as well that for anyone who's listening to this, when it's still February 24, which is the month we're in now, at the end of the month, there is some training on this from Unipol as well. I was just going to come back to you and, and ask, what's the most frequently asked question that you get about the Building Safety Act? Gosh, uh, it changes. Um, yeah, there was a lot of, I think, um, uncertainty around sort of definitions, um, think things like accountable person. Towards the end of last year, we had quite a lot of um, queries about um, the registration process. Even sort of slightly sort of bizarre, you would think that the measurement of an 18-meter building would be clear-cut, but actually, yeah, it's quite challenging in some circumstances, and you can end up with different results. So quite a, a range of different queries. And looking ahead, um, one of the important phases that we're now going through is those new buildings that have to go through three gateways and be cleared at each gateway before they're safe to occupy. So members getting to grips with some of that at the moment. Thank you. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that when it comes to buildings, there's no certainty about measurements or number of rooms necessarily. And Abby, just, you know, thinking back to what you said about the number of data points, you know, particularly when you've got a big estate and you've got older assets, it can be difficult really to understand what's there. 
I don't know if you want to comment on that. I definitely had a, a flashback there from, as Ian Fletcher mentioned, the height of the building. And actually, the first question, what's the building? Um, so typically, at United Students, we have properties. And within those properties, you might have a number of buildings and a number of sections within these buildings. So getting those definitions and understanding them and applying them to our portfolio was never something I thought we'd have to do before we really started on the project. So yeah, thanks for that reminder, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds very philosophical, doesn't it? What is a building? Um, we're going to hear now from another of my colleagues, Joe Blair, who has been leading on resident engagement, which is something that we've mentioned. Uh, and here's what she had to say. So you've been doing a lot of work around the Building Safety Act in terms of resident engagement. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So there's a requirement to have a resident engagement strategy, which is something we've kind of always done quite loosely in United Students with our customer panel and the customer surveys that we do. But this is kind of a way to formalise now a lot of that work. So we started off by reaching out to all of our students through a survey to ask them about what would that resident engagement strategy look like to them? What did they want to see in it? Collated some of that data, put it against what's in the legislation from the Building Safety Act and worked with some kind of consultants to make sure that we were ticking all the boxes. So not only were we legislatively correct, but we also met the expectations of our students. So simplicity was really the key from our students' perspectives. They really wanted it to be broken down in a way that it could be understood by everybody. Always got a mind on accessibility as well. So we came up with three strands to it, which is effectively we want to communicate with all of our students to make sure that they're really informed around what the Building Safety Act means for them, which buildings are and aren't impacted by it, as well as what's going on in their buildings that would be relevant to the Act. We wanted to make sure that they had lots of engagement pathways so that they could contact us in the way that was the most comfortable for them and read about the information in the way that was the most comfortable for them, but then also empower them to get in touch with us if they were worried about anything at all. And we've put in quite a structured format. So if you're a resident, you have access to some information as part of your residence pack. And if you're not a resident, there's an access uh, or a pathway that you can connect in and ask the questions that you want to ask. That's great. And what kind of things do they need to know? So ultimately, it's things like uh, fire safety is a key element of the Building Safety Act. As we all know, Building Safety Act came off the back of Grenfell. So there's a huge fire safety link in there. So there's things around electrical safety, structural safety of the building as well now. Buildings generally these days are investigated to the nth degree to make sure that they're safe to live in. And I think there's also that bit where students need to know that we do actually take their safety really, really seriously. So it's making sure that, you know, as I said, the information is always available and accessible, but making sure that people talk to our students about it in a way that kind of makes sense to them. So if they want to ask, you know, something about fire safety in our buildings, we're not going in with a load of technical jargon we're kind of making the technical jargon available for those that want it, be being able to explain it in ways that make sense to the layperson. And we've got students coming to live with us from all over the world. So different languages, different levels of English, and also 
potentially different understandings of fire safety, different practices. How do we make sure that they know what we need from them? Most of our content is published digitally. So by doing that, students can translate that into any language in the world. We have the tools available on our website that students can read it in their own language. There's also filters that you can add on top, you know, for certain challenges around kind of what you see on screens. We also have our home charter that's up in our properties and it's available on our website as well. So our home charter is just a simplified document with really kind of clear, concise language which talks to the key points, you know, the things that you need to do as a resident to make sure that you keep yourself safe and the things that we are responsible as an accommodation provider to do for the student as well. Our teams on the ground also are always available to talk to the students as and when they want to talk to us. If there was somebody that had, you know, a specific need to sit down and talk with an expert, then we have clear experts within the business that are available to talk one-on-one to students as and when required. That's great. And I know that for years we've been running fire safety campaigns. What are some of the less obvious things that students need to be doing in terms of fire safety? You know, in different countries and in different parts of the UK, the communication around what to do if there's a fire in your building or what to do if your fire alarm goes off in your building differs. So in some countries they have the stay put, stay where you are. And in our buildings, every one of our buildings, we say really, really clearly, if you hear the fire alarm going off, you must evacuate the building. And I think that's probably the key thing is as frustrating as it can be, you know, the fire alarm goes off at an opportune kind of moment, it's three o'clock in the morning, whatever. We get it. We know it's really annoying. But that one time that could be a real fire. And by making sure you follow that pathway out of the building, that could save yours and lots of other people's lives. So that would be the number one key thing that I would always kind of urge people to do. There's some other clear kind of simple things as well. So if you come across a fire, call 999. It sounds really simple, but you would be really surprised at the amount of times things happen in properties and nobody's actually called the emergency services. If there's something that people don't think is right, report it. If a door's not quite closing properly or you think something's not working as it should be, just let somebody know. We'd rather know about it and it be nothing than not know about it and it be something. And then another really key one is don't let rubbish build up in your properties. So again, we all kind of seen our fair share of messy kitchens over the years. It's really important, you know, take your rubbish out. Don't let it build up because one day that could just save your life because it helps you get out of the building more quickly. Thanks, Joe. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you? Um, from our perspective, as a responsible provider, we are responsible. You know, if we find an issue with the property structure or safety systems, we have a responsibility to tell you about it, but also tell you how we're going to keep you safe while we fix it. We have to make sure that we share fire safety and fire prevention information with you. And we do that across many, many platforms. And there's things that we do from a compliance perspective. So we check our safety systems, make sure they're working. So that's everything from a smoke detector and a fire alarm through to emergency routes and emergency lighting. We must make sure that we carry out regular fire risk assessments. Then when we have a fire risk assessment done, we must make sure that we work through any actions. These are done by a third party. The third party will go through our building. They'll give us a risk assessment that says whether the building's low risk, medium risk. We generally don't ever have high risk buildings. We do a lot to make sure that our buildings are never high risk. 
but where we do have some actions, you know, like somebody's found a box in a corridor or whatever, we must work through and close down those actions as quickly as we possibly can to make sure that the building remains as safe as possible. Thanks very much, Joe. So engaging with residents, I know it's a very important aspect of the act. I'm just going to put that question out to all of you if there's anything you'd like to pick up from this interview with Joe. I think the main thing from us, Jenny, would be that, um, again, it comes back to that best means of communication. And yeah, there are various choices in that respect. But um, yeah, the act is quite clear and that you've got to sort of have made best endeavours with you know, what can be a very diverse set of people, you know, with different learning needs, different um, language needs. And so trying your best to ensure that um, they are getting the information they need and are being able to communicate with you and knowing how to do that. Part of our agenda is to support people to stay with us through their whole university career. Of course, that means that we have to provide for those individuals' needs, which could be incredibly varied. So making sure that our approach to the Building Safety Act is consistent with their needs and reports against it. So if we've had to make adaptations suitable for particular mobility, learning needs, etc., we need to record that and they need to be comfortable that we've handled their specific needs well in our PEEPs and our FEEPs, our evacuation plans and our personal evacuation plans. The way that we've changed the building is properly registered and that we've consulted with the right people to do that. So it's really important. The other thing with regard to customers, and I think really off the back of Grenfell, which is where all of this really started from, is making sure that we do listen. The building and construction industry is full of people with lots of qualifications and ideas about how they are specialists. The reality is, is though we all live in homes and actually we have a voice and our students are no different from that. We need to make sure that that voice is heard and that we treat that voice with great respect and are able to answer their questions fully, even if they seem like silly questions, because sometimes they might not be, and they may be things that we need to act upon. So that's the real difference that it needs to make, that attitude that we have to complaints as being things that we can actually really learn from is really important. Thanks, Ian. Abby, I wondered if you wanted to come in as well, because I know you worked with Joe on that working group. I just didn't expect the amount of engagement we already had in place, things like the Fire Safety Week. So I think for me, it was a big relief when we started identifying the needs of the Building Safety Act, comparing to what we have at Unite and ticking the boxes straight away. So really happy to see that. Back to Ian Bramford's point about the area of the investigation after the Grenfell tragedy that really struck me was the residents had raised concerns numerous times. They weren't listened to. And I think what we're really great at is responding to that. We've got those tools. And now the customer and the resident has that ability to escalate if they're not getting hit. So great news. Ian Fletcher, I wanted to just ask you about the future. So we've had the Act, but is there any further legislation that is expected in the coming years? and, And what might that mean if so? Firstly, the important thing is to get the Act in place. That's pretty much there now, Jenny. There are one or two things that are sort of outstanding. The government has stated its aim that it wants all residential buildings over 18 metres to have second staircases. And uh, 
still awaiting sort of how it defines what is a second stake. Again, it's this sort of issue of buildings and definitions. Does it mean two cores or does it mean two staircases around one core? So that is something that's outstanding. I think the the big unknown in this area is you know, we have the second Grenfell inquiry and it is due to report, I think, in the spring, summer of this year and eventually recommendations that flow out of the Grenfell 2 inquiry, one guesses, will end up in uh, legislative measures that need to be taken. I, I suspect if there's anything sort of comes out, it will be around maybe products and and new builds rather than necessarily some of the sort of um, existing buildings and management issues. But, um, one can never second guess where the inquiry will go. Thank you. No, that's really helpful. And on, on the subject of products, I started at the beginning of this podcast talking about cladding, and that was a early indication of change. Just as a, a country, as a sector, where are we in terms of removal of cladding? And is there likely to be any sort of further legislation about the kind of materials that can be put on buildings? Again, I, I think we're sort of nearly there on that in terms of government being clear on what's acceptable, not acceptable. The sector is just about there on the ACM cladding, the same cladding that was on Grenfell. There were, I think, 58 student buildings that had that. I think three remain. And I think I'm right in saying that those three buildings are, are not occupied. So the ACM cladding has been removed and replaced on the whole sort of student accommodation estate. Yeah, there was other forms of cladding. The, the cube in Bolton was uh, what's called HPL cladding. That is more integrated into the sort of wider building safety program in terms of replacing that cladding. So I don't have any statistics on, on that. United Students are forefront of just taking action and d- delivering against that, making sure that our ACM is gone and making sure we're ahead of the game when it comes to other cladding types. So, you know, our program to deliver is a, is a vast investment. I know we've had several years of, you know, just, just seeing stress in people's eyes with the just the enormity of the cladding issue, particularly when we have a such a big estate and anything that is dangerous got to come off. And it's a, a massive piece of logistics, isn't it? Where are we at with that now? So we took really early decisions about what we would do following the Grenfell tragedy. That meant that we got early information about our cladding systems. We were able to remove the ACM very rapidly. And we're now on a program of of addressing all potential cladding risks as we've investigated what the makeup of our buildings are um, so that we can replace that with something that we're really confident is the right thing to put in place. And that hasn't been easy because we've had to disrupt uh, students' lives. It's not been quick. We've had to take that at a pace that really works with the HE partners as well. And of course, we're not just affecting our buildings, we're affecting our neighbours, the local authorities and all sorts of things like that. But look, you know, we're going to be in a place in uh, the next 18 months where we can really say, you know, we've got a portfolio of buildings where the cladding is not an issue anymore and we can grow from there. So it's, it's really great news for us. So we're coming towards the end of the show now. And as usual, I'm going to ask each of my guests for a key takeaway. So can you give me your number one tip when it comes to building safety? And that might be something that's 
maybe quite quick and easy to implement, but not blindingly obvious. Abby, can I come to you first for that? Hard to choose one. Um, I think the seemingly obvious one, but not always there, is making sure everybody's aware of their roles and responsibilities. Thank you. No, that's great. Ian Bamforth. Uh, yeah, for me, it would be make sure you've read your building safety case report and remember that it's only live from the day that you run the report. It's an interesting way of looking at it. But to, of course, things change in buildings. So make sure you keep a regular read of that building safety case report. Top tip number one. Brilliant. Thank you. Great tip. And Ian Fletcher. I think um, mine would be for providers that... Um... Yeah, this is not a lonesome journey. There are a number of other people taking that same journey. And uh, so there's a lot of good practice to be shared and uh, learnings to be passed on. And then I think also um, good quality fire risk assessments, uh, I think, can go a long way in terms of from that year to year sort of management, just ensuring that any significant issues are picked up. So going for a good quality fire risk assessment is is a must. That's great. And what a great way to end. So thank you to all my guests today, Ian Bamford, Ian Fletcher, Abby Yeo. Thank you as well to Ed Palmer, our producer. And thank you to you for listening. If you found this episode useful, please share it with your colleagues. And if you've got ideas for future shows, why not get in touch? We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, you stay safe.